Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Danny Kafke. Uh, he is a special education uh, teacher uh, in Georgia, uh, but he's written several books. Uh, his latest book is called A Simple Book of Financial Wisdom, Teach Yourself on your, and Your Kids uh, How to Live Wealthy with Little Money. Welcome to the show, Danny. Hey, Jordan. Thanks so much for having me back on. Uh, tell us a little bit about, about your background in addition to being a special education teacher in Georgia and why uh, did you do book, this book and the uh, previous book you did also about uh, how to survive on a teacher's salary? Well, it all started, uh, my wife, Tracy, was a school teacher, a first grade teacher for 12 years uh, before becoming a stay-at-home mom. And uh, the first book came about when we were both teaching, actually, and we were doing things at that time to prepare ourselves to, to have her be able to stay at home when we eventually had children. And at that time, we really didn't know... Uh, how many kids we were going to have, how many years we were going to be able to have her stay at home. But we felt strongly um, during those first few years of marriage that she be able to stay at home at least one or two years when we eventually had children. And at that time, people said, or colleagues of mine said, gosh, Danny, you guys really plan well, and you seem to have it have it together financially. You should write a book to help us out. And I didn't really think too much of it. And then a couple of years later, Tracy had Ava. And then one weekend, at that point, Ava was, I don't know, about uh, eight months old. And Tracy and Ava were out of town. And uh, I'm not very good with idle time. And I think uh, they just got it from a higher power to sit down, just had a message. Why don't I just sit down and start this book? So I kind of did. And it took about three or four months, just gathered information, um, kind of gave our story. And I thought at first it was just really cool to have my words on paper. Um, showed it to a few family members, some friends, and someone suggested to submit it to a publishing company. And I knew nothing about the publishing industry and how to get that done. And for your listeners that don't know, when, when you do try to write a book and if you want to submit it to one of the big ones, they don't accept unsolicited manuscripts. Many of them don't, so you have to go through a literary agent. And I really didn't want to do that. I just thought it was cool to have my words on paper, you know, for people to read, for family and friends, show the kids one day. But, um, but then um, I, I said, you know what, after someone gave me that suggestion, I looked up some publishing companies and I submitted it to one that didn't require it to, to come from a literary agent, and they accepted it, and it was what's known as a vanity press, so I did have to pay an upfront fee. I was an unknown author, so I kind of looked at it as a business proposition, uh, starting, you know, writing a book similar to starting an own business. I understood they're not going to do it for free, but then once I realized it did have the book coming out, I thought, gosh, I need to do some research for this, and that book was titled How to Survive and Perhaps Thrive on a Teacher's Salary, and obviously the target audience was teachers, and in doing some research, there was a study done by the National Education Association, and it showed that 50% of teachers quit the profession within five years, and that was partially due to low pay. And around the same time, there was a general social survey done, and it showed that teaching ranked among the top 10 most gratifying jobs. So I wanted a way to show my colleagues that, you know what, even though we don't get paid a large salary, and most of us are in the teaching profession because we have a passion for it first and foremost, you can still do well financially and have this job. Well, shortly after that book came out is when the economy started to take a nosedive, and that's when my message, I guess, became a little more timely, and people wanted to learn about how a school teacher was having a wife stay at home, and at that time then we had two children, and uh, making it all on my 40000 well, a little bit less at that point, $40,000 a year salary, and so that, that's kind of where it became the, the popularity of it grew. But over the time now, so I wrote that book in 2005. By the time it came out, it was 07. 
But during those five years from 2005 until last year, I just felt like we had so much more knowledge to share, and I felt I, I could do a much better book. I, I just really felt that way. Um, my first book, it was kind of our story on how we got to the point to, to allow Tracy to be able to stay at home, and my circumstances are different than everyone else's. So we taught overseas for a couple of years. We, uh, we moved uh, when the housing market was good. So things that it could not apply to everyone, and I just felt like I wanted to, to have something better out there, especially right now because so many people are struggling, and to show them and give them some hope in these times and just say, you know what, we've done it for six years now. Tracy stayed home. I'm a school teacher. Despite not earning that large of a salary, we have no debt except our mortgage. We invest each month for our retirement, a little bit for the kids' college. We have an emergency fund in place. But basically, we have the freedom to pursue things that we are passionate about. Tracy's passionate about being a stay-at-home mom. I'm passionate about being a school teacher and teaching others. So we've made it work on this salary. And that's why I just wanted to give others some hope. So I wrote uh, my new book, A Simple Book of Financial Wisdom, Teach Yourself and Your Kids How to Live Wealthy with Little Money. Did it on some, most of it I finished over Christmas break uh, last year and last December, and then kind of finished it up and uh, once again submitted it to a couple publishing companies. And this time I was really fortunate because of some of the success I had with the first book that I found one that um, took care of everything. I didn't have to pay any upfront fee with it at all. So it's kind of a, a cool thing right now that I don't have to recoup any money. So it's just, uh, just about helping people and hopefully inspiring them in these tough economic times. Very good. Well, let's just kind of look at the overall situation of the people you're uh, referring to here. Mm -hmm. uh, your, your first chapters say, why are we broke? Why is it that people are in the financial circumstances they are? Is it just they're not earning enough, or is there an educational component to this? Why is it that people are in the financial conditions they're in? I think a lot of it is people just, they, they look at finances as a taboo topic, and many people want to bury their head in the sand and not learn about it. As a school teacher, I'm ashamed to say we don't teach it in school, and I know why. We're, we're so mandated by testing, and unfortunately, financial literacy is not something that, uh, that we test on. Later in life, we take the big test on it, and a lot of us, unfortunately, haven't done too well. But it's something because we are mandated so much by testing that that's not part of the curriculum. So I'm telling parents out there, that's why it's so important that you teach your children because we don't do it in the schools. Um, but I do think it is a lack of education, but also just people, um, I don't know if they want to bury their heads in the sand or, or if they just want to go along and they don't want to change their ways because it's not fun. I mean, you have to sacrifice some and you can't go out and do what your friends are doing and have the nice house and the car and, and, and those types of things. No, it's, sometimes it's not fun to face reality, but we all make a set amount of money and, and we have to live below it. And I think there's some people out there, you probably know them, I know them, that even if they made $5 million a year, they would spend $6 million and they would be in debt. So, I, yeah, sometimes for some people, if you're making a low, low salary, $25,000, $30,000 a year, yes, it can be more difficult than if you're making more money. Absolutely. But I also think that um, that it can be done. Uh, you, you may not be able to, to have the nicest things. You may not be able to drive the brand-new car, but, but it can be done, and hopefully you're going to work your way up and educate yourself and kind of get in a better earning position later on in life, but, um, but I do think a lot of people, um, some of the studies I, I cite in there that people just, um, just, just don't really think about it. There was one um, that showed that 29% of Americans spent more time watching reality TV last a month than they did working on the retirement plans over the last 10 years, and I think that kind of sums it up where people are just 
I don't know if they don't want to learn. Some people think it's too hard to understand financial matters. So instead, they, um, they, they do other things with their time, and then they just become confused and they don't understand it. And that's kind of hopefully where my message can come along, that here I am, I'm a school teacher, I'm not a financial major, um, never even took a financial class in my life, but I have the basics figured out. When it comes to investing and different types of insurance, then obviously you'd want to seek a professional, but most people aren't in trouble because of that. Most people are in trouble because of the day-to-day personal finance, spending plans, budgeting, and that's where I want to hope, uh, give people hope and show them that, you know what, if this 36-year-old school teacher can do it, then you can too. Give us some of the numbers that you quote in your first chapter about the situation that people are in based on certain surveys. Oh, well, um, like I mentioned before, the, the before-mentioned uh, reality TV one, I think that one is just a... Uh, uh, it's such a, a, a showing sign because I knew a lot of people, you know, were so uh, into watching the des- Desperate Housewives or Real Housewives and all those types of things. But um, that's definitely one of the things. But, um, but a couple more for you. Um, that uh, In 1929, only 2% of the homes in America had a mortgage against them. By 1962, only 2% did not have a mortgage. So we kind of went from a society that... You know, we didn't really um, buy things that we couldn't afford, and then shortly thereafter, then almost everyone had debt. And I know mortgage can be good debt. I'm not saying because most of us don't have that much money sitting around to, to buy a house outright, but it just shows kind of the mind shift. Even with credit cards, when you think in the early 80s when credit cards really be, became more mainstream, it was only those people that had a lot of money that were able to get them because the banks weren't going to risk uh, giving loans to people that had, uh, or credit card companies weren't going to risk giving it to people that couldn't pay it back and then gosh shortly thereafter it just became it was available to everyone um another one is uh, according to usa today due to an insufficient amount of savings 60 percent of the 77 million baby boomers will not have the means to support their current standard of living when they reach retirement age and i think that holds true a lot of people with lack of investing and not even um you know not thinking about it because the traditional way was we worked for a company we got a pension uh then we got social security and that was enough to live life on well most uh, most industries don't have pensions anymore. If you're in government, like with me being a teacher, I do have a pension still, but I'm not banking on it. Even though I do have pension and hopefully I'll have Social Security uh, when I get old enough to collect it, I'm not depending solely on that. I'm going to take the time. I'm going to invest some money myself, use the uh, magic of compound interest to work uh, for me, and let it build over time so hopefully by the time I get to be 65, I'll have a good nest egg waiting for me. Um, another uh, study uh, was, uh, according to a 2008 survey by the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, 76 million adults say they don't have any non-retirement savings. And of those who do have a cash fund, 61% don't have enough to cover three months' worth of income. So it's just, you know, some, some very similar stats that I, try, I quote in there just to kind of show how we got into this position that I think for so long people went along blindly and just really did not give their money too much thought. So what happens to people who haven't saved enough, all of the people you're talking about here? I mean, they must now be reaching retirement in many ages, mm-hmm. uh, and, and they haven't saved close to enough. What is happening to those people? Well, some of them are going to have to work longer and not be able to retire and live their golden years the way they wanted to. 
some are going to have to cut back significantly on what they do um, and not be able to enjoy their retirement and maybe take as many vacations and do the things that they all always envisioned that they would be able to do. Uh, just some people like they're just not going to have the freedom to to pursue life. They've worked. A lot of people when they reach retirement age, gosh, even say you you start working twenty at twenty and you want to retire at sixty five. You've put in forty five years, and unfortunately for some people, they they're living solely off of social security and they have nothing to show, which limits what they're able to do. And you just think about which I, I don't know if it was a scare tactic or not, but when President Obama a couple months ago during the whole um, the, the debt raising our debt limit uh, that, that crisis, when he made the comment that if does if some, nothing happens, then and Social Security checks might not uh, go out, which, like I said, I don't know how true that was uh, or if it was even a possibility, but I know a lot of people that are solely res- that solely depend on Social Security. Gosh, I-, I can't imagine. I'm sure they had a lot, of, a lot of restless nights because if that's your only source of income and it doesn't happen, well, gosh, how are you going to live? So I think it just kind of shows, I think that right there is, it shows why it's so important that we need to start investing for ourselves and, and save some money because, like I said, I think Social Security will probably be there when I retire 30 years from now, and I, I hope it is, and it, it might be dwindled a little bit. I might not be able to collect it as early, but I'm sure something will probably still be there, but I'm not banking on it. Uh, if it is there, then that's great. I'll have a little extra, and that's wonderful, but I also want to take some actions right now to ensure that if something happens and I'm not able to collect it, well, then I'm okay and I'm covered uh, in that case, too. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Danny Kafke. Uh, he is the author of a new book called A Simple Book of Financial Wisdom, Teach Yourself and Your Kids How to Live Wealthy with Little Money. We'll be back after this. It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Patricia Raskin, the host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday, 11 Pacific. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call to Positive Living, Mondays at 11 Pacific time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. 
Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Danny Kafke. Uh, he is the author of a new book called A Simple Book of Financial Wisdom. Teach yourself and your kids how to live wealthy and w- with little money. Uh, welcome back to the show, Danny. Hey, Jordan. Thanks again for having me back on. There apparently have been some very famous people who didn't do the right things financially and ended up broke. Just give us an example of two of those and what people can learn from that. All right. Uh, one person in this situation is Iron Mike Tyson, and most of us remember him uh, as one of the best boxers, especially of his era. And uh, during, uh, during his career, he earned over $300 million. But despite that, he filed for bankruptcy in 2003 and now uh, has some cameo roles in some movies to earn some money. So uh, just uh, $300 million is what he earned, and it's gone. Um, another one, and this is definitely to the extreme, but, uh, but the king of pop, Michael Jackson. Um, you think over his career how much money he earned. Um, there are some estimates that he earned over $500 million. It's probably even more than that. But yet, when he passed away, uh, there was estimates that he was over $400 million in debt. And I know that's to the extreme, but it just shows that even if you make a lot of money, if you spend more than you earn, eventually you're going to be in trouble. Okay, you have a chapter called, Does Money Make Us Happy? Uh And people certainly have the impression that if they're um, making a lot of money, they're going to be happy. Is that not correct? That's not a, a correct assumption on people's part? No, it's not. There was actually a study done um, a couple of years ago, and it focused on a large number of people. It was over 450,000 Americans, and just asking them how they evaluate their happiness. And this was done by a psychologist and an economist, and they just wanted to see um, exactly the, the threshold and how much money you needed to make to have uh, perfect contentment and happiness. And they came up, the, the number was $75,000 a year. Now, that doesn't mean that if someone makes $400,000 a year that they're not happier on a day-to-day basis than someone that make 75000 but overall happiness and contentment with life, they were about equal. So it just kind of, it was interesting to me to see that because I know that even though I don't make a large salary, and it's hard to complain right now because I know a lot of people are struggling, but most would agree that $40,000 a year, it's not CEO pay, it's not a large income, but I'm pretty content with what I have and what I do. So it was just a very eye-opening study for me because I've known, um, known people that have a lot of money but they're miserable. And on the, the same token, I've known people that really have not that much money at all, but they're extremely happy. And, and I'm not saying that money, um, it, it can't make us feel better, and it definitely takes away some worries that we otherwise would have, but it's, it's surely not the end-all, be-all. Uh, I think that so many people focused on it for so long, and if you go to a job Monday 9 to 5 and you make a lot of money, but you hate every single second of your job, well, gosh, to me, you're really not a wealthy person because you don't look forward to doing the thing that you do the majority of your life. So I'm not trying to say in this piece that, that money isn't important because it is very important, but I think if there is a silver lining to the economic mess we're in is that some people are realizing that it definitely isn't the end-all, be-all, and we shouldn't just try to constantly accumulate money to buy more things because it doesn't automatically make us happy. And, look, we're one of the wealthiest nations on Earth, yet thousands and thousands of people seek professional help every year because they are not happy. So it just um, it shows that it doesn't automatically guarantee happiness. You say that in that circumstance, if you're not making a lot of money, you should change your perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, how should you do that, and, and what would be an example of somebody changing their perspective and being happier as a result? 
Well, something that we do um, with our daughters every single night when we're sitting around the dinner table is we talk about something that we're thankful for on, on that day. And for me, you know, I always think of the bigger things, but they help me, my four- and seven-year-old, they help me see the little things. Like my four-year-old might say, well, at school today I got to blow bubbles. Or my seven-year-old will say, well, you know, I got to play on at recess today and I did a good job on the monkey bar. Something as silly as that, but I see it through their eyes and how important and that made a difference in their day. And I think, gosh, could I find some little things in my life that I could be happy about? Like, for instance, today the weather is absolutely gorgeous here in Georgia. So I was very thankful for that when I woke up this morning. We have fall and it's so nice and leaves are changing. So I think just if we can appreciate some of the little things, maybe even make a list in the morning of a couple things that you're thankful for that day. It just kind of helps helps us look at the overall picture and maybe realize that, you know, we, we do have a lot. And I'm okay with wanting more. I think that's what drives the American spirit, and that's what has led to a lot of great successful people in our country. But I also think a lot of people don't stop and smell the roses sometimes and don't always appreciate truly all that they do have. You have a chapter, what you call a financial primer, the basics of money. Um, and I guess you start off with the expense side. Mm -hmm. What should people do to track uh, their expenses in a better way than they're doing now? What worked well uh, for my wife, Tracy, and myself is shortly after we got married, we walked around with a piece of paper and a pencil for one month, and we wrote down everything we spent. Then at the end of the month, we were able to analyze our spending habits because there are areas in most of our lives that we overspend in, but we don't realize. So writing it down, at the end of the month, we could see it. The numbers don't lie. They're in our handwriting. We're, we're the ones that put them down so we could see our personal situation in areas that we could cut back on. It may be the time we went to the movies a couple times a month or ate breakfast out or whatever. Each person, that's what's so unique is everyone is so different in this regard that there are probably, there, there are probably some areas in your your life that you can cut back on, but if you don't have a clue on where you're spending your money, it's very difficult to do that. And little things can add up really fast over time. If you live in too big of a house or drive too fancy of a car, well, those are givens. You're going to get in trouble, and most people know that. But for a lot of people, those day-to-day -day things, they add up really, really fast over time. And an easy example, let's just say Monday through Friday, you eat lunch out every day. Fast food, so we'll keep it cheap. We'll say $5 a pop. Most people won't miss $5. Most people won't think twice about parting with $5. But if you add that up, $5 a day is $25 a week, which equals $100 a month, which is $1,300 a year. And for me, on a teacher's salary, $1,300 a year can go a long way, and that's just on $5 a day. So I think tracking your spending is the number one step you can take into controlling your finances and improving them. So what are some specific ways you can cut back without harming, harming, harming your harming your lifestyle in a major way. Uh, one of them you talk about cooking at home instead of going out. Right. Uh, we do that, and obviously with Tracy being a stay-at-home mom, that's a way that helps, and she feels since, since she is home, that's her way to contribute, I guess, um, to, so we don't have to spend money on eating out. And we do eat out occasionally. It's just definitely not every single night, but um, that's a way that we can we can save a lot of money. Even if you go to a, a, a cheap, we'll say, uh, restaurant to sit down, not a fast food, but a little more upscale than a fast food restaurant, but not too expensive, after drinks and everything, uh, you know, it can run $30, $40. So that helps. Another thing that we do is we just go grocery 
grocery shopping one time a week. And Tracy makes a list before going and sticks to that list. I've talked to people at work, and they'll say, I don't have anything planned for dinner tonight. I'm going to run to the, the grocery store after work. Well, grocery stores and other stores at that are masterful at placing items at the end of aisles that they know will catch our eye, especially when we're hungry. So a lot of times you'll do that and you'll have good intentions, but then you see something and because you are hungry and you're not really thinking, you buy extra things that you normally wouldn't buy. So making a list, sticking to it, going once a week, that has definitely helped us so much. Another thing is that we did a few years ago is we got a new cell phone plan. And we're in the minority. We don't use our cell phones that much. My school is about three miles from uh, from home, so there's not a great need for it, but at one time, we had uh, cell phones that we were paying $50 a month on that we never really used, so we went to prepaid uh, cell phones, and we cut it back. We paid about $10 a month on those, so saved $30 a month, so when you analyze your overall spending habits, then you can kind of see, because some people do need cell phones and need to be constantly connected, and that's fine, but then you can see other areas of your life that you may be able to cut back on. And you said to ask for free stuff. What kind of free stuff is available out there? Well, um, I actually, and this might surprise you and your listeners, but we, we subscribe uh, to the NFL Sunday ticket through our satellite provider. It's something that we have family Sundays, and we come over and watch football. And my favorite team isn't in Georgia, and neither are my mom or my grandparents. So it kind of helps us. But um, with this, um, the, the ticket that they were offering, there was an added feature to it that uh, cost $99. And I saw in a local magazine saying that new subscribers could get this for free. So I called up and said, well, I'm not a new subscriber. I've been with you for a number of years. But um, I would like this for free as well. And, of course, she said, no, I don't think that's possible. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll call, I'll cancel my subscription right now, and then I'll call you right back, and then I'll be a new subscriber, so uh, I'll get it for free, right? And then she put me on hold for about 15 minutes, and then, lo and behold, I uh, talked to the manager, and I was able to get it for free. So I just kind of, if you see things like that, it doesn't hurt to ask. The worst they can tell you is no, but, um, but a lot of times, since if you are a loyal customer, they'll want to work with you. And, and I know another thing, too, with um, if you have a good relationship with your bank or your credit card company, I'm pretty good about, I'm really good about paying the bills on time, but one month I think it was just crazy and I was late like a couple days on the credit card bill, and of course they were going to give me a fee, and I called them and explained my situation, said I'm a loyal customer, I've never missed a payment my entire life, and uh, sure enough, the $30 fee was waived. So just things like that, that if they do happen, it never hurts to call them and just see what you can do. And then you say saving a little bit every day is important. How can people save when they, they don't think they have any extra money and they're living paycheck to paycheck? Well, that's where it comes in when you, when you would um, look at your spending plan and see if there is an area in your life that you can cut back on. I still see people, and a lot of people have heard of the latte factor, but I still see people buying coffee every single day uh, before work and coming to school with it. And, you know, you can spend 3 $4 a cup. If you make it at home, average is, what, 25 30 cents a cup. So there's a way to save a few bucks every day. Uh, bringing your lunch to work. We already talked about even eating at fast food, $5 a, a meal. But if you can brown bag it, bring in leftovers. Sometimes I even bring in a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. But uh, it definitely it helps cut back on, the, on that cost. Some people I see at school, they purchase sodas from vending machines every day. Uh, I still like to drink soda, but I wait until there's a sale at the grocery store and I can get five 12-packs for $12. So instead of paying a dollar a soda, I get them for $0.20, $0.25 cents, uh, per soda. So little things like that. Uh, tap water, that's a big thing. So many people right now are drinking bottled water, and uh, uh, there's been studies that show sometimes bottled water is poured right from the tap, the same tap that we, we won't drink out of. So just little things like that, I think, if you analyze your overall spending habits, then you can see areas in your life that, uh, that you might be able to cut back on. 
And then you say to work with your family as a team. What kind of difference can that make in uh, your spending? Oh, that is so huge. Um, if you have one person, and we're talking about spouses, so husband and wife, you have one person that is a spender and spends every dime that comes in, whereas the other one's a saver and wants to save everything, it's not going to be a pretty successful future for most people because you're battling against each other. So it's so important to set goals with your spouse and talk about your future plans, both long-term, short-term, but work together on them. Um, Tracy and I work really, really hard and have in the past uh, on achieving success financially to be in the position where we were able to have her stay at home with our kids and me not have a high-paying job. But uh, if we weren't on the same page and we, we were doing different things with the money, it would have been very, very difficult. So I think it's so important for husband and wife to work together and achieve goals because not only it strengthens your marriage from a financial point of view, but overall it just it does wonders for it. And I know right now how crazy my life is with a four- and a seven-year-old and writing books and teaching and doing all that. Life is nuts some days, and there's some days I'm like, oh, it's, it's nice to even sit down and breathe, and I don't have any financial stress. Throw in debt collectors calling and being in debt, I can easily see why, uh, why so many marriages end in divorce because of money issues. So to me, when you work together as a husband and wife, it just, it's so important, and then you accomplish things together, which strengthens your marriage. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Danny Kafke. His new book is called A Simple Book of Financial Wisdom, Teach Yourself and Your Kids How to Live Wealthy with Little Money. We'll be back after this. It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Patricia Raskin, the host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday, 11 Pacific. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call to Positive Living, Mondays at 11 Pacific time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. Uh, my guest this hour is Danny Kafke. Uh, he is the author of A Simple Book of Financial Wisdom, Teach Yourself and Your Kids How to Live Wealthy with Little Money. Welcome back to the show, Danny. 
Hey, Jordan. Thanks again for having me on. Before we go further, just tell people about your uh, website and Facebook page and how they can interact with you more. All right. Uh, my website is uh, www.dannykofke.blogspot.com, so D-A-N-N-Y-K-O-F as in Frank, K-E.blogspot.com. And also I do have a Facebook page, uh, directly linked from uh, my blog page. But if you try the easiest way, if you just Google search my name, so D-A-N-N-Y-K-O-F as in Frank, K-E, the first thing that does come up is my blog page. So that's probably the easiest, and you can click on that and uh, direct links to order my book, to email me and see some of the media things I've been in as well. Great. Okay, one of the other financial primers uh, you talk about is the wedding myth. What is the medic wedding myth? Well, we, we uh, all think, you know, we see these magical commercials, especially as men, uh, how romantic it would be to, to propose on Valentine's Day and, uh, and, and just have this most expensive uh, ring. And actually, um, th there was a wedding report done, and it showed that the average cost of a wedding was over $24,000. And to me, $24,000, you just think down the road what that can do for you. Uh, most of us, when we first get married, we're in love. We could care less what kind of wedding we have. We could care less what kind of ring we have, at least hopefully, because you're so madly in love. And I remember shortly after Tracy and I got married, we actually left the States and we taught overseas in Poland. And for the first month over there, we had no washer and dryer, and we were actually doing our laundry in the bathtub, but we weren't complaining. We were just happy, and life was good. It was all an adventure. So the thing is with this wedding thing, when we spend all this money, a lot of people spend it on one magical day when truly you're already in love. And that money would come in so much more handy five years down the road, ten years down the road, when you have kids and you need a night out, but you just don't have any money. you got mortgage. you got all these bills coming in, and, you know, you spend all that money on a wedding years before when you were happy and then the stress happens or if you spend all this money and you go into debt right when you start off as a married couple and then you're behind the eight ball and you're working your way out of it so to me i'm not saying weddings aren't weddings aren't important i think they are great tracy and i did have a wedding and, and we loved it and i don't regret it but i think sometimes we we feel entitled to it and we expect to have these big elaborate things you just have to remember it's one day in a magical, nice wedding, the most beautiful wedding dress in the world. It doesn't equate a lifetime of happiness because, you know, five years down the road when the kids are crying in the middle of the night and you desperately need a babysitter just to breathe, but you don't have any money to do it, well, it really doesn't matter at that point what kind of wedding dress you were wearing. So what would you recommend for people? I mean, just to go to Justice of the Peace or something? I mean, Yeah, just be very smart about it and just spend what you can afford. Don't go overboard on a wedding. Just um, keep it as cheap as possible. Now, I know some people have their parents pay for it, and that's fine. If your parents are able to afford it and they want to do that for you, then that's great. But if you are in the position where you have to pay for it yourself, just be smart about it. Don't go into debt over it. Like I said, it's one day. That's it. It's not going to guarantee a, a magical life with your spouse. So just, I guess, be very cautious and, and don't, don't buy into it that in order to have a, a good marriage that you have to have the most expensive wedding, you have to have the best engagement ring because those things really don't matter over time. Yes, it's nice, and having a nice wedding is great, but like I mentioned before, it doesn't equate to automatically having a successful, long-lasting marriage. Now, you have various steps uh, that people should take to take control of their finances. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's go through some of those. The first one is to save money in an emergency fund. Where should people keep the money since in a savings account or treasury bills today, they're basically earning nothing? 
Yeah, I still say a savings account. I know it's not earning anything, but um, the, the money that you have for an emergency fund is exactly that. It's an emergency. You're not worried about uh, earning a lot of interest on it. You just want it there in case of an emergency, you know, break glass. And uh, it's better than under a mattress uh, because if you have a fire, then you lose all that money. But uh, emergency fund works well. A uh, savings account works well for an emergency fund because you're not – Later on, we get into investing where you're trying to earn money, but this is just for if you need new tires on the car, if your heat goes out in the middle of winter, if your kid has a doctor's uh, bill that you can't, uh, that's a little more expensive that the insurance won't pay for the entire thing. Things like that, true emergencies, you want this money that you're able to pull out. You're not worried about the interest that it's earning. So to me, a savings account at a bank, even though it's earning whatever, 0.02% or whatever the rate is now, we're not concerned about earning interest and making a lot of money on this. That comes down the road. We're just worried that they're concerned and we want this money to be there in case the unthinkable happens. And then your next tip is to get out of debt. Uh, sounds easy, but how can people do it who, whose income is not uh, living up to their expenses? Well, hopefully, if you've tracked your, expen uh, your spending pattern, uh, you can come up with ways that you can cut that back a little bit and you can save a little bit more money. But uh, also, uh, the thing is, there's really no... There's no magic pill on how to make money. Uh, you either, either A, have to earn more, or B, you have to cut back on what you're spending. That, that, that's kind of it. There's really, there's, unfortunately, we can't just follow something and bam, it all changes. But maybe, and I'm not saying this is going to be forever, but you, if you are deeply in debt and you're trying to, to gain some financial freedom and get out of it, then you may have to get another job, get a second job for a little period of time, maybe deliver pizzas at night, throw some newspapers in the morning, whatever it takes. It's not going to be forever. The goal isn't to, to have you doing this the rest of your life, but sometimes you've got to do a, be a little bit different and, and different than other people to, to work your way out of this. So maybe you have to do it for a little while just to generate some more income. Maybe you might have to go without cable TV, go without Internet for a little bit, go without a cell phone, whatever. I know those are extremes for a lot, but we have to analyze it. And if you're in financial straits, we need to make a change. We have to do something to get out of it. And then once we're able to do that and have a little extra money, what I recommend to do is pay your debt off from the least amount to the greatest amount. And this is all of your debt except your mortgage. That comes later when we try to, to get rid of that. And I know there are so many different rules of thought on this that um, if you have an interest of 24% and you have an interest of 10%, you should automatically pay the 24% interest off. From a mathematical point of view, absolutely that makes sense. But most of us did not get into uh, financial trouble because of the math. Most of us can do the math on a credit card bill, and we can figure out how much we owe, yet many people still put, buy things they shouldn't and use a credit card to do it. So we have to get the emotions involved because a lot of people are in trouble because of the emotional aspect. They feel defeated with money. They, they feel like they can't do it. So we need to change that. So if you start off by paying the, the debt that you owe the least on, you build some traction. Uh, let's just say an easy example. We'll just say you had a $500 credit card and a $1,000 credit card. Just to keep the math easy, we're going to say the $500 credit card, the minimum monthly payment was $50, which it wouldn't be. We're just going to say it to keep the math easy. We'll say the $1,000 credit card, the minimum monthly payment is $100. Once again, it wouldn't be. Keep the math easy. What we would do in this situation is we would work on paying that $500 card off first. Continue making the minimum monthly payment on that next card, that $1,000 card. So we continue making the $100 monthly minimum payment on that. But with this $500 credit card, we've been paying $50 a month. 
we're going to find a way to come up with an additional $50 a month. It could be you cut something out of your life. Maybe you did get a second job, whatever. Let's say you find a way to do that. So instead of paying $50 a month on it, you're now paying $100. Well, if you do the math, $100 a month, after five months, that $500 debt would be gone. Bam. You feel good about yourself. You're like, you know what? Maybe this financial thing, I can do it. I feel good. I feel strong. I want to keep going. Now you have an extra $100 a month. That debt is gone. We're not going to waste this $100. We're going to apply it to the next debt. So in this case, it was that $1,000 card. We've been paying $100 a month on it. Well, we have an additional $100. So now we're going to pay $200 a month on that debt. Do the math. Five months later, that debt's gone as well. And you just continue working like this until you're out of debt. Uh, like I said, it would make much more sense from a mathematical point of view to pay off the debt with the highest in- the interest rate first. But let's say you do that. And let's say your highest interest rate card um, has $5,000 worth of debt on it. Well, for a lot of people, it's going to take time to, to pay that off. And then over three or four months, you become discouraged because you think, man, I'm working so hard, I'm sacrificing, you don't see any results. So same thing if you go on a diet. You go on a diet and starve yourself in the first three weeks, you don't lose a pound. Most of us would go hit our local fast food and order the number three, supersize it, and overindulge because we felt defeated and we would just give up. So with money, the same thing holds true. So if you build that traction, you start small and build it up and give yourself a confidence boost, then you're more likely to stick to it. Uh, then you also say, in addition to getting out of debt, you should be investing. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how can you invest, and what are some ways to invest with relatively small amounts that are going to add up to something over time? Well, you can use the power of, uh, of compound interest to work for you. And I know right now the stock market is down again today, but I go by the historical standards. I'm no financial genius. I don't know what the market's going to do today, tomorrow, 10 years from now. Most of so-called professionals don't either. There's plenty of day traders that lost the shirt off their back uh, because they didn't know what was going to happen. But when you look at the historical data from the stock market, you earn about 10% a year. And that's going back to the 1800s. So to me, I trust history, and that's why I'm going to invest. Each month, we do what's called dollar cost averaging, so we have a set amount automatically pulled out of our account, invested into mutual funds. Now, some years, I've lost 20 30%. Some years I've gained 25-30%. In some years it's just status quo. But the overall historical data shows that you'll earn about 10% a year. So you just have to remember that. And also remember, the media loves to portray bad news. When we turn on our local news, it never starts off with the fireman or the good teacher that did something good. It's always someone that got murdered or, or you know, robbed or whatever. So we have to remember that, too, when it comes to finances, that a few years ago when, that, when the stock market hit the bottom, man, you would have thought the sky was falling and everyone lost everything and it was, it was coming to an end. But I bet on the same local shows a year and a half later, um, the stock market was almost doubled the point when, when that, at its lowest point in that March, uh, I guess it was March of 2009 when it was at its lowest. By December of 2010, it had almost uh, doubled the amount that it was in that March day. But that wasn't portrayed in the media. That wasn't shown on the news. So you just have to remember that, uh, that bad news does sell. And don't base your investing decisions on your favorite morning show anchor because they're there to, to provide a story. They're not there to provide investment advice. So, like I said, I could lose it all. Um, the stock market isn't guaranteed, so any money I invest in it, it could be gone. But I just go back to history, and many people have made money off of it. It doesn't take a large amount each month to, uh, to dollar-cost average it, and over time have compound interest work in your favor, and you can have a sizable nest egg. And then you say saving for college is also important. A lot of people have not 
saved enough, and therefore they take on a huge amount of debt when they go to college. Right, especially when you're kids. You don't want your children to automatically have to start off. And you have to remember, though, here that to save for yourself, though, before you do save for your kids' college. A lot of, not trying to be sexist, but a lot of moms do put their kids before themselves. And I think that's great because mothers are great, and they do that. But you need to put yourself first in this position, in this instance, and be, um, be a little bit selfish. Because let's just say if I sent my two daughters, Ava and Ella, to the best schools in the world, but I saved nothing for my retirement. I just put it all into their college fund. Um, they graduate from college. They have great jobs. They get married. They have kids. They're doing great. Well, one day I go to work, and uh, the boss doesn't need me anymore. And I have no retirement income. I don't have any money to live off of. What am I going to do? Well, Ava, Ella, will you take me in? Can I live with you? I'm sure they love me to death, and they would welcome me with open arms, but I don't want to put that burden on them. Uh, so what you do, you need to invest for yourself first, and then you invest for the kids' college, because there is such a thing as a student loan. I don't want them to have to get it, but there is such a thing. There is options. The last time I checked, there's no such thing as a retirement loan, so we need to take care of that first. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Danny Kafke. Uh, he is the author of A Simple Book of Financial Wisdom, Teach Yourself and Your Kids How to Live Wealthy with Little Money. His website is dannykofke.blogspot.com. We'll be back after this. It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Intense and intelligent. Catch Kevin, unscripted and uncensored, keeps you informed of the ideological, theological, and economic war being waged against the United States of America. Kevin Lehman's bold and brilliant style challenges your deepest held beliefs and provokes you to ask the hard questions, religious, scientific, political, or financial. Kevin is holding the establishment's feet to the fire with high-profile guests that include politicians, economists, theologians, and business titans. He'll demand truth over tradition and facts over fiction. Full of passion, wisdom, and wit, Kevin's transparent and no-nonsense style make Catch Kevin unscripted and uncensored. The go-to show for real insight on business, politics, social issues, and breaking news. It's time to get real, America. It's time to tackle the tough issues head on. Tune in to Catch Kevin, unscripted and uncensored, Mondays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel. If you are looking for creative ways to improve your bottom line, tune in to Make Your Move with Alan and Brian Bolio. Their proven track record of helping businesses enhance their profitability will provide the basis for a forum about actionable items based on a business person's perspective. The program will be business talk, but with an economic context, so you'll know how to stay ahead of the game. Make Your Move is broadcast live every Monday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business channel when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network 
You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Danny Kafke. Uh, he is the uh, author of a new book called The Simple Book of Financial Wisdom. Teach yourself and your kids how to live wealthy with little money. And his website is dannykafke.blogspot.com. Welcome back to the show, Danny. Hey, Jordan. Thanks again for having me on. One of the things you're saying to take control of your finances is to lose the mortgage. Mm-hmm. Uh, how can people do that if they've taken on a 30-year mortgage? Well, you can. Uh, a lot of people, and this worked well for us, we refinanced recently, uh, not recently, a couple of years ago when the interest rates uh, dropped. Uh, we signed up here for a traditional 30-year, six, it was 6.5% at that time, so interest rates dropped. Now they're even uh, lower. We signed up for 4.5%. When we refinanced, that's what the rates were, so they're even lower now in some instances. So it's a good way that you may have to pay a little bit more each month than compared to a 30-year loan. But if you can pay off your mortgage 15 years earlier, you're saving a boatload of money uh, on that uh, just by doing that. And sometimes you can pay with interest rates dropping, depending on what your rate is. You can pay $30, $40 more a month and get rid of the mortgage 15 years earlier. So you do the math on that. You go 15 years without a mortgage payment, that can save you a lot of money. So so that's definitely a a good way, especially for for the average person right now to look into. Or you could also apply a little bit more each month to the principal of your mortgage. And, And that's a great approach, too. But a lot of us... We're having trouble um, living off what we have already, and we can always find a reason why we can't add extra money on um, Christmas in December, <laughs> Valentine's Day in, uh, in February, summer vacation in July. So every month something does come up. So I think you, you kind of have to lock into it, but make sure that you are able to cover it so you don't uh, end up uh, in foreclosure. You also have a whole chapter on giving your kids financial education. Uh, you being a teacher, why is it, again, that the schools are not teaching one of the most basic things people need to know? I mean, from your own experience, teachers not comfortable with it, or why is that not happening? It's just, I guess, because it's not part of the curriculum and the powers that be, there, there's little financial information that is taught that's required of students. And I think it's a crying shame because I think it's important for kids to learn for learning's sake. I'm not saying that. But when you look at it, most of us, I remember in high school, I had to memorize the periodic table for chemistry. chemistry. How many times in my life have I ever used that? Never. Most of us, what, maybe 2% of the population will ever discuss that again. So like I said, I'm not against learning for learning's sake, but why not institute some financial literacy classes? Because if you have a classroom full of 30 people, how many of them are going to have to balance a checkbook? Well, 100%. How many are going to pay income tax returns? Well, 100%, unless you're Wesley Snipes and want to go to jail. So uh, things like that I think are so important, but as schools, we're just not doing the job because it's really not part of the curriculum, and right now, Schools are so tied to the testing and, and, and having good test scores that if there is something that's even important to teach, but it's not on the test or not required, uh, a lot of teachers just don't have the time to go over it. So as a parent, it's really, really important that you do teach your children about money. You have some specific tips for teens. Uh, one of them is to teach them self-control. What do you mean by that? Well, I think that's a good way to, to start off with them because and I'm not there yet. I still have younger children, and, and we're trying to start that at a younger age. And I know once they get older, it's going to be a little more difficult, easier said than done. But um, we need to do that now because a lot of adults do not have that self-control, and that is why so many are in trouble. So if we can teach them at a young age and, and just show them that, yes, it's important, and I know all your friends have it, and I know the pre-pressure is very tough, but... 
if you truly can't afford it, you don't need to buy it because over time it's a great way to teach them that if you say if you still needed to have it and you put it on credit card, that by the time you pay off the credit card, if you just did the minimum monthly payment, you could have had that same item three or four times probably, and you're going to have paid a lot of money, and by the time uh, it's paid off, that item will be old, and you won't even want it anymore. So it's just important, I think, that you can have open discussions, especially with your teens. And if you start a little bit younger than that, then you kind of gradually uh, increase how much they know about money to the point that when they do become teens, then you kind of have this relationship with money with them that you can openly discuss. That's, to me, the biggest thing is just having the open communication. And unfortunately, a lot of parents, when we look at the financial situation right now, a lot of parents don't know how to handle money, so it's very difficult for them to be able to teach their children. But I think it's so important. And as a parent, it's a great opportunity to show them, you know what? I messed up. All kids love it when their parents mess up. But you can use it and say, I make mistakes, but the important thing is is I'm going to learn from these mistakes and I'm going to better myself so I don't do it again. And and that's a really cool thing that you can teach children. And not just in the financial uh, speaking, but in all aspects, we all mess up in life. But the cool thing is and the most important thing is that if we learn from those mistakes and we grow from them so we become better people. You also said it's important to teach teens the value of work. What is a good way of doing that? Well, what we've been doing, like I said, I have a seven and four year old. I equate how much, how many hours I work to to the purchase price of a product. Uh, my my seven year old Ava, she, recently she came home and one of her friends had a had an iPad. So of course she said, "Oh, I'd love to have an iPad." I said, "Well, I'd love to have one too." And and we could. We have enough money in the emergency fund, but it's something that's really not an emergency. But I also want you to realize, if we went out and buy an, bought an iPad, it would pretty much take me an entire week to work and every single cent I earned that entire week would go to have to buy that iPad. So I just kind of try to put in the number of hours of work in relative to how much an item costs. So hopefully when she gets older, she kind of understands that, man, I got to sweat this much or I got to work this hard in this many hours in order to buy this item. Then you talk about wants versus needs. I guess it's similar to the iPad. How can you teach the difference between wants versus needs? Well, I think, once again, start at a younger age and just explain to them. Uh, a couple Christmases ago, she wanted a Nintendo DS, and I said, a Nintendo DS is, is a great present, uh, but it's really not in our budget right now, and, and I really wanted to buy it for her, but we didn't. It wasn't in the budget, and it was so interesting because a couple days after Christmas is when the heat in our house, something went wrong with it, and it went out. So, of course, on a Sunday, time and a half, I had to pay it, but the interesting thing was the amount that, that it cost to replace it. It was just a minor repair, so we were lucky in that aspect, but the amount cost about as much as an Nintendo DS would. So it's just a great opportunity for me to tell her that, you know what, I really thought strongly about buying this for you, but it wasn't a need, and we didn't have the money budgeted for it. But look at this. Heat in the winter when it's 20 degrees outside, I mean, I consider that a need. So if we would have blown the money on something that wasn't a need, but rather a want, well, truly, when we did have something come up that was a definite need, we wouldn't have the money to pay for it. So it's just kind of a cool thing. It actually just occurred, but uh, but we were able to, to use that as a learning uh, situation. You also talk about, for younger adults, uh, choosing a partner wisely. What mistakes do people make financially in choosing partners? Well, it's easy to fall in love, and we've all been there where we fall in love with the wrong person and think this person is going to be with us forever. We, we're all like that, and it's hard to, when someone's in that state to convince them otherwise. But 
once you start really dating and getting serious and maybe getting engaged, you really do have to sit down and discuss life goals with someone because if your partner is completely different from you, and sometimes opposites attract, so there are going to be some differences, but if there's some certain things that they're just not willing to budge on and they're constantly, they don't really want to save for the future, they just want to blow it all now, and you're not that same frame of mind, you're going to run into some problems. So I think you do have to have some honest discussions about that and sit down and really see that, gosh, right, right now we're in love and love is blind and we're going to be this way you know, forever, you think. But over the course of time, uh, looks only go so far, and then your relationship is supposed to mature. And as a mature relationship, that's when you grow together. And part of that is when you grow financially. And if you're on the wrong page from the get-go, then it's very hard to grow that way with someone. In about a minute or so we have left, why don't you just kind of sum up what people can do, what kind of a difference it can make if they implement the advice in your simple book of financial wisdom? Well, it can hopefully help you improve where you are right now in your finances. Hopefully uh, the tips I've been able to give just show you that it can be done. Right now in the media we hear so many bad stories that it's hard and times are tough, and I know for a lot of people they are. But my goal with this book is to give people some hope and to show them that if this 36-year-old school teacher can do it, then you can too. You don't have to be an economics major to do well financially. Uh, yes, it's going to take some time. It's going to take some effort. It probably will take some sacrifice. But uh, don't throw in a towel. You can do it. Very good. Well, my guest has been Danny Kofke. His new book is called A Simple Book of Financial Wisdom. Teach yourself and your kids how to live wealthy with little money. His website is dannykofke.blogspot.com. And it's been a pleasure having you on the Money Answer Show, Danny. Hey, Jordan, thank you so much for having me on. And thanks again. And we'll be back with another edition of the Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.